Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. You're listening to the Infant Adoption Guide Podcast, episode number 43, part two of a birth mother adoption story with Tammy Thompson Davis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder, and this is the show all about domestic infant adoption, where we give you the tips, the inspiration, and the hope to reach the dream of becoming parents through adoption. And thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening and sharing the show with others. You know, today's show is part two of our amazing interview with Tammy Thompson Davis, who is a birth mom, an adoptive mom, and adoption consultant. You know, her own difficult experience as a birth mom led her to begin the Family Building Project, which is a company that specializes in adoption education and networking and marketing in support of the adoption triad. Now, I highly recommend that you go and listen to the previous episode, episode 42, at infantadoptionguide.com slash 42. She started sharing with us her unique story of what it's like when she was 19 and a college student, she became pregnant and didn't even know she had twin girls. She was pregnant with twin girls until later in her story, and she was matched with not one but two couples that backed out on her. And you'll hear why she even decided to place her girls for adoption and what it was like to go through two devastating fall-throughs with potential adoptive parents, how she felt. And in this episode, she's going to finish her story about how she was able to finally connect with a future adoptive parents of her, of her girls. And it's a really a happy ending to the story. And uh, I just love how she tells it. And I love how powerful the story is. And at the end of the story, I ask her to share with us, you know, the main lessons that she's learned from her experiences and really what she wants expectant moms, birth moms, and hopeful adoptive families to know. So big part of her story is at the end and a lot you're going to be able to get out of it. So uh, part two here begins with Tammy talking about how and why the couples backed out on her. And I hope you really enjoy the rest of the story. I know you will. I loved having her on. So let's go with part, part two. Here you go. And they didn't want to adopt three children within three weeks of a, two weeks of each other, especially wow. two that were preemies who were going to be in the NICU. So that was Again, the worst rejection, a punch in the gut. And so many, many people think, adoptive parents think they wouldn't do that to someone. But I think if you've had a fall through at birth and a birth mother has changed her mind in the hospital and it was her first baby and then you get matched again and it's her first baby and you've been waiting a while at the agency. And I blame the agency because the agency is the one that called them about a stork drop. And never um, told you. Oh, boy. So, and what were they supposed to say? No, we've, I guess they should have said no. Yes, that's what they should have said. That's what I would have done. But having lost a baby to SIDS and then lost a baby to an adoption fall through, you know, I try not to blame them, but personally it was truly the hardest thing that I, I think I've really gotten through. Yeah, I can believe it. And and you're right. I I can't believe the agency would would call them with that and basically force them to make a decision between keeping the match with you or accepting the stork trap. That it's that's a had to be a huge decision for them too. Right. Uh, I they put right. them in that position and then unfortunately put you in the position of 
having to go through another devastating rejection. And so does this attorney or this or a counselor help you through this part of it? Not a counselor. I, I, I didn't want anything to do with the agency. I wouldn't, I, yeah. there was no way I was talking to them. I, um, I had a wonderful person with me, my dear friend. And I knew that right then what I needed to focus on was, um, getting through having these preemies, getting through labor. And I just had to put them, compartmentalize. And I've always been good at that. And that is the time that I really had to do that. My doctor was wonderful. I, my plan was, you know, the next day to call the attorney and just to say, what do I do from here? But I mean, at that point, I I don't even know if that night and during the labor and delivery, if I was really thinking I would go through with an adoption. Yeah, I could, how could anybody blame you after that? I mean, you'd have to be seriously rethinking. <laughs> could you parent these these twins? I mean, that makes sense. I thought of everything possible I could yeah. do, and it and it and it again. It came down to security. Gosh, I wanted to keep them so badly at that point, but I just wasn't in a position to give two babies. If I didn't think I could raise one baby well, or give than the financial, emotional future and security without an education and um, without a, a good support system, um, I sure couldn't do it with two. You know, when I had doubts about whether I could place or not or how it would feel, knowing it was twins really helped me yeah. through that. It was almost like God telling me, I had a deep faith. I don't know that I'm religious, but I had a deep faith. And I in God and in a higher power. And I felt like, you know, finding out there were twins really kind of spurred me to continue on the adoption plan because if I couldn't handle one, I sure couldn't handle two and not handle, but, but safely raised. And so it was almost like God putting a little note in my mailbox that, you know, <laughs> if you're having doubts, you sure can't do it now. <laughs> and so I had, um, I delivered the babies that the next morning, early morning hours, and um, they were little, and so I didn't have to deal with, you know, having them in the room or holding them right away. They were three, three and a half pounds. They went right to the NICU. So the next morning, I had talked all night, all morning with my doctor and with my uh, friend, uh, dear friend, and decided I was going to call the attorney who I had liked. I had not had a lot of contact with him but I had liked him when I had had contact with him and talked to him about what had happened. And, and I did, and he just could not believe what had happened either. He, he said, I, I, I can't just send you, he was in my state and I just thought he could maybe help me with couples that he worked with, but he knew it would take twins and he knew it would be okay with preemies, you know, that they would just send somebody right over because they're not going to worry about me changing my mind. They're here. And he couldn't make matches. I guess in some states, attorneys aren't allowed to work with a birth mother um, and birth, terminate a birth father's rights and make the match. Mm-hmm. At least back then, that's how the state was. So, but he did have a friend who, um, a close friend who he had gone to law school with who had been trying to adopt for a while and had had a fall through the week before, maybe two weeks before, and they were dear friends of his. There was no financial relationship. 
it was just, I know of someone and is it okay if I give them your number, but you'll have to make the match. You'll have to speak to them. You know, I, I can't be involved. I can't represent you. I can't represent them. And I, and I just said, absolutely. Um, not knowing who was going to call or what kind of person was going to be on the other end of the phone. And, um, Luckily, an amazing woman called me who was so worried about me and how I was emotionally and physically. And she did not right away ask about the babies. She, she right away asked about me and what I, she could not believe what I'd been through and that I was still willing to take the chance of talking to someone and trusting someone with, with my precious babies. And that just meant so much to me. It was kind of the first time I felt like that's what I needed to hear right then. I needed to hear somebody understand where I was and, and be worried about me and understand this huge trust I was placing in this person. Not easily, and, and they had to work for it um, in those weeks of the NICU. But I spoke to them, and I loved her, and I loved him, and we spoke about family and we spoke about their life and the life the baby would be coming into and the fact that she could live out where I was living, where I was. They were across the country. Um, she could stay there while the babies were in the NICU. They wouldn't be alone. He'd stay there the first few weeks and then fly back and forth, you know. So I said, yeah, I want you to come. And they flew out and met me in the hospital um, when the babies were three days old. Mm. And they met me and we spent time together and we talked a lot. We had a lot of, I mean, just quick, emotional, deep talks. And I took them to meet the babies and seeing them, just how they reacted to these little scary, you know, three pound, three and a half pound babies on respirators um, just was amazing. We all cried and the nursing staff was crying and my doctor was crying. And it was really just a, a blessed moment of being there the first time they met the babies. And um, I had told them they could go see the babies um, after I met them. And they said, no, they, they wanted me to be there. When I met them, they wanted me to introduce them to, to these babies. Um, and they kept calling them my girls, which was kind of sweet at that moment. They were not presumptuous at all. They knew that I had to trust them and I wasn't going to sign. I was allowed to sign at 48 hours, 48 hours had passed. I was not going to sign right then. So, yeah. Sounds like you had a very providential moment there because you had all the reasons not to trust somebody, to be very skeptical, to even just say, uh, no, I want to take time and, and talk to several different parents, or hopeful adoptive parents. But it sounds like this just providentially came to you and they said the right things and did the right things and earned your trust and allowed this to happen. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Right. And you know what, Tim, I did think, am I, am I doing right by them by just taking this first couple that walked in the hospital doors after this happened? But I had tried my way. <laughs> I had looked at, you know, 60 profiles and right. chosen two couples and I didn't have a very good batting record. Um, <laughs> You know, I was I was zero for two, and and something about knowing that somebody knew them personally and not in a client 
relationship. They weren't representing them. They knew them personally. The couple willing to come with no guarantees. They knew I could have signed, but I wasn't willing to fly across the country and and come and sit there with me and, and spend that time with me. I was still devastated and I was still hurting and I still felt raw from birth. I, do, I didn't even feel like I had time in those few first 48 hours to process that I was a mom and I had given birth to these amazing little girls and that that I had had this fall through, you know, I was dealing with this fall through, not really with the normal emotions you deal with when you get birth and are going through right. with an adoption plan. Um, that came, you know, that was secondary. I, I went through that grief and that roller coaster ride over the next two weeks of, um, you know, I, I was in the hospital about five days. I had some complications when I was in the hospital about five days and visited the babies and the girls and visited the adoptive couple and spent a lot of time together. And then I did not sign for uh, until it was two weeks after they were born that I signed. And once I signed um, in the state, I signed in again, it was 48 hours. So it was irrevocable once I signed. And so I think that's kind of why I took those two weeks, but I never felt pressured by them or rushed. I ended up having a private attorney represent me and they had a private attorney represent them. You know, that was the easy part. The signing was incredibly difficult. The language in the documents is very painful and very blunt. That's something that I, you know, I always share with, with expectant moms is that prepare yourself for that, the language that's in the, in the documents. And if you're able to see them prior to signing them and read through them, do that because it's not as shocking. I, because of the NICU, that gave me, it was a gift that they came early. It was a gift because it gave us so much time to get to know each other that I would have felt cheated out of if they had been born full term and this fall through had happened for some reason. And I, a couple walked in and the babies left two days later and flew across the country in a week. So. Wow. I mean, it's just incredible how that all came through, came through. And it is very I guess, comforting knowing that it had a happy ending because after all the turmoil you went through, uh, you deserved a happy ending. And uh, Thank as- you. And it did. And I, I want, that's so important to me that people understand that even through, we've all been through trials in our lives. And, you know, as a hopeful adoptive parent, it may be the infertility or the loss of a previous adoption plan or waiting a long time. And for a birth mother, obviously it's the, it's the loss of, parenting that child she carried for nine months and loved and cherishes so much. And we've been through other losses in our lives. So even with these losses, I do know it was the best decision for me. And I, more than that, more important to me than that, is that I know that it was the best decision for my girls. I know that they are, I know that they had the most amazing life with two incredible parents and are wonderful young adults who are uniquely different in in so many ways. But if I, again, I said this after the first fall through, um, if I had to go through all of this again, all of this turmoil and pain and rejection, sense of shame, and like I wasn't good enough really to end up 
give my children the life I gave them, I would do it again. Mm-hmm. I would do it in a heartbeat to give them that life because it is where they were meant to be. And we I, just had a really rocky road getting there. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm assuming you've had an open adoption all along and they, uh, you've been in contact with them. And So interestingly enough, not as open as you would think from my, um, by, by my choice. I, and, and this is probably good for a, a, a long, another conversation, but in a short, short, to sum it up, um, I think because of the devastation I had been through from pr- finding out I was pregnant, deciding on adoption, having a fall through, deciding on another couple, having a fall through, having a premature delivery, having babies in the NICU for so long, who went through some medical issues in the NICU and scares and things. I really needed to decompress after all of this. I Once they were released from the hospital and I knew that they were doing well and they were going home to their family, I needed to step back and I needed to then focus on me. I needed to heal my heart and I needed to um, somehow process this. And that's where I started getting involved with. I couldn't find many support groups. There was some offered to the Children's Home Society of the, the city I gave birth in, but not really. So I actually stepped up and started some groups. I put flyers, you know, old-fashioned days of, of typing out a flyer and putting them up in, at, at places and um, letting the attorney I worked with uh, both know that I was doing the support group, let the doctor know I worked with. And, um, you know, what started with a few people ended up being, you know, 10 or 20 people that would meet women who were considering it or who had placed would meet every other week at, at a public um, library or children's home society, like a private room in a library or somewhere <clears throat> that was offered um, for free. And really that's how I healed myself with giving back to others. I, I certainly received pictures and I would call to check in once in a while, but we left it that they would wait for me to call. They didn't want to call me on a day I might be having a great day and it would be sad to me or maybe a day I was having a bad day and it would make it even harder for me. And so we left it that I would call them for updates. And I did that probably once a month. And I got pictures when I, at first it was every other month they were sending me pictures. And it became to the point, it came to the point where I would go to the mailbox and get the pictures and it was hard. It was just sad. And it was, um, I was, it was great to know that they were doing so well, but it was also very sad. And so a lot in my life changed from when they were placed until, and you know, over the next year, a lot changed in my life. And I decided that um, I called them and just said, I don't want you to take this personally. I don't want the girls to ever think I rejected them. But right now I can't handle the pictures every other week. And I, I, let's just say I'm going to call you or, you know, I'll let you know when I need them, but I trust you so much. And I knew they were in the right home and I knew they were loved and I knew they were, they were cherished. And I didn't worry about that. I didn't feel I needed to check in. And so I kind of closed it a little bit. I did receive pictures on a regular basis up until they were around five. And then my life changed to where I was a mom and I was working in this field and I decided that, you know, I wanted, I didn't want regular contact. So we checked in during special moments. Um, I certainly called them when I had a, became a mom again. I 
when I got married, when I had my children, I got calls when, you know, they had special moments. But as teenagers, um, they were very different. One was very interested in her adoption story and one was not. One was didn't want a lot of contact and one would have taken all the contact. So that was hard for their parents to manage um, and as siblings for them to manage. And so we really don't did not have a lot of openness. When they turned 18, one of them wrote to me through, they've always had my address, but they sent it through an attorney, the attorney we worked with. And, but said that her sister still wasn't at the point where she was curious or anything. And so, but she just wanted to fill me in on her life and thank me for the life that I had given her and for the choice I'd made. And, and so they certainly know me, they know who I am and I know who they are and we could find each other, but we're not friends on Facebook and or Instagram. And I don't know how it will, how it will progress when they get married or when they have children, but um, I know where they went to college. I know they, what kind of experience they had, but it's really very, I leave their lives private when I give talks or when I share the story because I feel like it's their story to tell too. And that's why I don't mention specifically what state I was in or what state they're in or which attorneys we use. But it was really, it was an amazing, it was amazing to me that I didn't have a completely open adoption after all of that. But I think that should also show you what kind of trust I had in these wonderful parents of my girls, our girls. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing all that. I, I totally respect that you uh, withhold some personal information because it really is their story to tell and their, their place to tell any specifics that they want to. And when you're sharing in a big forum like this uh, with the world, that that definitely makes sense. And I just wanted to close uh, with just, if you could share maybe just a couple, and I know you've done this throughout the whole interview already, but if there's any main lessons that you learned that you want to share, that you want to make sure either expectant moms know or hopeful adoptive families know, is there any main core things that you want them to take away from this this interview and your story there are and i i want to start by saying that every single adoption is different and there are so many books but there there isn't an there's not a handbook or a how-to book because every we're dealing with human emotions we're dealing with the emotions of each individual expectant parents and their families and each hopeful adoptive parent and their families and so many different personalities and how people handle this process. But for an expectant mom, what I would, what I do say to them and what I would share with them is that placing your baby or babies for adoption, uh, making an adoption plan and placing will absolutely be probably the hardest thing you will ever live through. But being someone on the other side, I can promise that with the right support, with knowing in your heart of hearts you did, you made the best decision that you could make at the time. This doesn't mean the best decision you'd make five years from now or five years ago, but at that moment, you're making the best decision you can for your baby and for your life. Then you will live through it. You will become stronger through it. You will be able to be proud of it. And hopefully you'll be able to help others 
in their process, whether you choose to be open about it or you just choose to be on an anonymous forum and support women going through this. I, I'd love for some of the shame and stigma attached that's still attached to being a birth mother or placing your child for adoption to dissipate, but I'm not really sure how to make that happen. I think that just comes through education and maybe through the social media or through news reports or through speaking at different groups. But for, for perspective, for expectant moms, I also want them to know that they are in control of this process. You know, don't give up. If you hit bumps along the road, if you know this is the right decision for your baby, go at your own pace, not the adoption professional's pace, just because, you know, they tell you how the process normally works. You know, you, you're, you're entitled to speak with an attorney. You're entitled to take it at your pace. What happened to me doesn't generally happen. I don't want my story to scare a prospective uh, birth mother from placing I am so grateful it happened the way it happened. I'm so grateful that my life took the path that it did. And I also want to tell birth mothers that there are heart texts, I call them, along the way. There are steps along the adoption process where you are reaffirming your decision to place your baby for adoption, and that is normal. I don't call them doubts. I call them heart checks. I think you have you you have a gut check, a heart check when you have that first ultrasound and you know what gender you're having or when you when you are talking to that adoption professional when you're looking at profiles and you're meeting the couple when you go through labor when you meet your baby each step of the way it's okay to reassess how you're feeling and what you're feeling and and to do you know to, to do an inventory of why you made this decision when you were pregnant and going through this process and why you felt it was the best decision. That's normal and it's okay. For adoptive parents, I am now an adoptive parent. And so, you know, what I try to tell those that I work with and, and what I tried to live when I was going through it is a couple things. One is don't hedge your bets. I guess that's my biggest lesson is while you are definitely taking a risk on a birth mother Um, an expectant mom, you're taking a risk on us. You're taking a chance that you might be let down. You might have a fall through. You're trusting us for a few weeks or a few months of the pregnancy and believing we're going to do what we say we're going to do. We are also taking a risk on you. We are trusting you not just for a few weeks or for a month, for a few months. We are trusting you for a lifetime. And the relationship you set with us, you create with us prior to that birth, is going to carry over to the trust we have in you and the faith we have and the relationship we have with you after the birth. So if if I can have one adoptive parent think of it in that way, that it is scary to trust and to match five months, six months, seven months, and trust that this woman is going to give you this baby and there's a chance that she may not, which is her right. I also want you to know that we are also putting that trust in you, but it's for a lifetime and we can never change our mind. We can never take that back. Whether you go through a divorce, whether you go through bumps in life that hurt us, that we wish our children didn't have to experience. So the trust goes both ways. We don't have all the control in this relationship, which I think a lot of hopeful adoptive parents do feel initially. I don't want hopeful adoptive parents to make concessions or promises out of desperation. That's so hurtful to a birth mom. So the right situation will come along for each hopeful adoptive parent um, without them 
making promises they can't keep or concessions or making decisions out of out of desperation. And the last thing I'll leave you with, which is a, a hot topic, I think right now in the adoption world is becoming friends with your birth mom before your expectant mom before delivery, being her sole source of support, becoming Facebook friends, Instagram friends, being the person she talks to every day, every night, through every up and down of her life. That's very painful when you can't sustain that afterwards. And I don't think it's, I don't think you're able to sustain it afterwards. I think you can still be supportive and you can still have an open adoption and be involved in her life. However, you probably can't take her phone calls every day and you probably won't want to take her phone calls every day. You'll want time to bond with your baby and become a mom and feel like the mom, but that's a loss to us when you've been our only support. So set her up to either have a, 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 a social worker or a consultant or a birth mom friend who's there to take her calls at 11 o'clock at night or when she's having a rough day or, um, you know, I think some boundaries are healthy. At least that's what I experienced during my adoption as a birth mother, as my experience as an adoptive mom. And now for 22 years of, of working as a consultant with in this field that I think that um, even in open adoptions, it's nice for the birth mother to have somebody who, after she places, still has somebody she can call in her difficult moments, whether it's a difficult moment with the birth father, her boyfriend, her family, her financial situation, her job loss, and it, it maybe isn't the adoptive mom. And so those are kind of the main points that I, I, I would love every hopeful adoptive parent and every hopeful birth mom to know and and just that this was a beautiful experience for me I am so grateful um, for the lessons learned it changed the trajectory of my life I would not have my son I would not have my daughters I would not be working in this field I would not have helped over 700 families adopt had I not gotten pregnant at 19 and gone through all of these difficulties in my life it's because of those difficulties that I changed my career and the, the path I took in my life Absolutely, man. Those were some amazing and powerful lessons learned you shared there. Uh, just incredible. Uh, I hope uh, anybody listening to this is writing that down uh, because those are some amazing points you make. And thank you so much for sharing those. I mean, I really believe this, this your story, this interview is going to help a lot of people in the adoption triad because I think everybody can take something out of this and learn from it and really be um, inspired to do better and to help all those in the adoption triad uh, through the adoption process. Thank you for saying that. I really hope so. That's my goal. I mean, that's my entire focus on why Mm -hmm. I do what I do. Well, thank you for willing to share your story. It's just amazing. Uh, You you definitely are in the right spot uh, of, of helping people in the adoption community and you're I just want to briefly share here, you are, are an adoption consultant and you have been for a long time. And the name of your consultant uh, business is called Family Building Project, which I love. That's perfect. Thank <laughs> uh, you. And, yeah, and it, a lot of thought went into that name. Yeah, <laughs> it is a project, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely it is. So if anybody wants to know or learn a little more about you, I've, you and I have talked before, you're not in the in the business of wanting to create this huge uh, adoption consultant business. Uh you're very much uh, only go by getting referrals from attorneys or social workers or word of mouth. And I respect that and appreciate that. And I hope everybody listening does as well. 
but they can find you. And I'm, uh, I am happy to answer questions. Yes. I'm happy to be supported. I'm happy to, yeah, absolutely. They, they're welcome to find me on mm-hmm. um, Facebook and Instagram and email. And, yep. But thank you for, for being open to that. I know there's probably some people listening that would love to do that. So I will provide all that uh, information in the show notes for anybody that's listening. And uh, so you don't have to uh, frantically try to remember a family building project or anything like that. Right. So, but I just want to thank you, Tammy, for being on the show. You just have an amazing heart for all those in the adoption world. And it's uh, truly your story, like you said, changed changed the world and you're where you need to be. And thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you for everything you've done. I've learned so much from listening to your podcast. And um, I think it's made me a better adoptive mom, a better birth mom, and, and a better adoption professional. I really um, appreciate the way you've used your story to help others. It's really, it's it's amazing to see people go through such difficulties and then turn it around to help others. So I appreciate everything you do as well. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be sure to have you on the show again, because I want to hear you know, the story about how you adopted your son and then how you got into uh, adoption consulting. And there's a lot more I know you can tell, or you can share, and yes. uh, we can learn a lot more from you. So thank you, Tammy, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Tim. All right. What a powerful story and some amazing tips Tammy shared with us. I hope this story inspired you and you know more about birth moms and women who are considering making an adoption plan for their baby. And I hope you have a better understanding of really what birth moms need, you know, the support they need. So I hope you can connect with Tammy uh, on her Facebook or Instagram pages. Just search for the Family Building Project or you can go over to the show notes for this episode at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 43. So I'm not sure where you are on your infant adoption journey, but I'd love to help you along the way if I can. Just go to infantadoptionguide.com and you'll see the free adoption resources I have for you. Just enter your email, you'll get them immediately, and a bunch more good stuff for me along the way. And just go to infantadoptionguide.com and I just can't wait to connect with you and uh, hopefully I can give you some hope and inspiration along the way. So thanks for listening and until next time, You're always in my prayers as you go on your journey to build your family through infant adoption. God bless you. Thanks for listening to my dad.